Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of directed video Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Raise the Red Lantern. In Raise the Red Lantern, Song Leon, played by Gong Li, is married off to a rich man and becomes his fourth mistress. Upon arriving at her new home, she meets the three other wives who compete for their master's attention on a daily basis and begins to learn the strict rules and traditions of the household. Screenplay by Ni Zheng, directed by Yimao Zheng, and showcased at both the Toronto and Venice International Film Festivals on September 10, 1991. Have you seen this movie before? Yes, I was obsessed with this movie. Oh, okay. I For some reason, I thought it was a different uh, movie from the same director that you... <laughs> well, it was this movie and Farewell, My Concubine. Which was which not also, directed by... But Joe. it also had Gong Li in it. Yeah, another Gong Li movie. And um, um, Joy Luck Club, which neither one. No. But it's similar storylines i was like obsessed with all three of those movies Mm. and i got this movie confused like the ending of this movie confused me because i thought she escaped Mm. in a way it depends on how you want to look at it i I thought she i thought she but i think i'm thinking of the one story that's in joy luck club where the one one of the ladies is a concubine and she does something and she just she escapes her family sure. or her master and all the sisters yeah. i'm probably thinking of that yeah most likely uh this is the first time i have seen this it was man, it was it was an interesting experience i i was i had no idea what to expect um I knew of the movie just from the title. I didn't know anything about the story at all. Um, so it, all in what I knew from going into this, because we were trying to, to pick some of the more well-known foreign movies for yeah. this month. Uh, and this was nominated for best foreign language film at the Oscars did not win. So I knew that it had that behind it, but that's about all I knew. What I got was something that was, I don't know, I, I want to say sort of similar to Belle Noiseuse in a way, okay. just because like it's, or even All the Mornings of the World, where um, there, there's like a lot of emptiness to it, but that's like the point, that's like the beauty of it, is the emptiness. Yeah. It's just the daily lives of how... It was during this era in China and then these customs and beliefs that they had 
the you know, but this was set in the 1920s. I don't know mm-hmm. when all of like the whole concubine thing ended. Or is it still going on? I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, look, I mean, look, we have people who are in polyamorous relationships like, yeah, in the I United know, States, like or multiple sister wives and, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So like that stuff, that's like illegal, but it still happens. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's some. But during this time, it was common. But it was e- yeah. it was just very common. Even I know in like Asian history, mostly like in China, where it's just in different areas you know you had the one master and then he had his wives and then that was like it yeah i mean i'm sure it was meant to be something of a status symbol for some of these these men it's like oh well i have x number of wives and so on and so on you know it's just another number another piece of property to to claim ownership to um what i what i really found striking about this movie is that the house okay so you have the opening shot where it's just song leon looking straight at the camera or you know slightly off camera with um an unseen mother mm-hmm. we learn as a stepmother later yeah um and they're talking about how you know she's decided to take up a husband and might as well marry a rich man and we don't know the circumstances about that until later but you can see how she, how resigned she is to her fate and how she's slowly tearing up and eventually crying at this decision that she's made that's like almost aside from the red lanterns that's really like the only time we see a whole lot of color in the movie because you have the the i don't know what you call it like the palace the mansion it's not it doesn't look palatial it doesn't look fancy but it's a sprawling compound it's a sprawling complex and it's all gray and it's brick and stone even the wet, even though we went through a whole year, because it starts in the summer. Yeah, it's you like don't summer, see fall. Foliage. Yeah, but you don't. It's just like the sky is just always gray whenever they show the outside, because it's mostly them inside. And I was, I thought their houses were not separated, but they were. It's like uh, I think that's one of the most intentional decisions that is. In the filmmaking. Yeah, but I, when, in, when I first watched it, I thought they were like four rooms and they were all kind of like across each yeah. other in a, in a courtyard. That, that's my th- that was my first thought too, was that, oh yeah, here's, here's, here's a courtyard, here's four sides to this rectangular shape, and each of the four wives is in one of the four. But no. But no, that's not how it is. <laughs> it's like four separate areas. Yeah. Of the compound, but and then I was thinking, like, how many, what if the person, like, the master wants another wife? You know, like, what's the, like, how many wives can you have? But well, I, mean, I don't know the rules, that's a, I mean, that that's part of the whole... I think, you know, when one dies or is, I mean, spoiler killed, another one comes in. I don't know if it even has to be that, because the fourth one just happens to arrive. What I, yeah. you know, and I think what kind of throws a little bit of um, complexity to that situation, but I do want to go back to the building structure in a bit, yeah. is the, you know, at the end when the fifth one is announced, yes, they call her the fifth mistress. 
Even though the even though number third three one, is gone. Yeah, so she's not. I definitely expected four to become three, and any new one to like become move it up. Four. Yeah. So, but they didn't do that. So that means fifth probably took the housing complex of three, but yeah. she's still called five. Yeah, but she she'll soon learn what would have what happened to three. Oh, I'm sure when they have their meals together. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm assuming, I was just surprised like, at the numbering. I thought that yeah, she would become reorder. fourth wife. Yeah, basically, like pretend like three never existed. Like in a sense. new fourth wife, but I think mm-hmm. it would just be numbering, no matter what. Because what if the first wife dies? The second wife would not be first wife. It would just be also just stay a second wife. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the reason I thought that is because. Okay, there's this room on the roof of the building where some women had been tortured and hung and killed because of improprieties. And they made it sound like it was something that had happened a long time ago and in the past. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking, oh no, they're probably just saying that. That's probably just what has happened to multiple people under this guy. Yeah. You know? But so, I thought... I, it... I, I, because of that assumption... And that, yeah, this room is actually more currently used than what they're insinuating here. Um, that the numbering would change. Yeah, I mean, who knows if there was another... Well, I guess there wasn't another. It would, wouldn't have been underneath this guy because I guess not. the most... The I just th- assumed, yeah. I thought it was maybe because of his father, his, like, his, one of his mother's, yeah, like, the master, yeah. like, his mom, or one of yep. the sister wives, because they do call each other sisters, mm-hmm. um, was killed either from his father or, you know, grandfather, whatever. It was probably throughout the many years that, you know... Yeah. That family has been living on that compound, I guess. And, okay, I just looked up. The practice of concubinage in China was outlawed in 1949. Oh, okay. So when the Chinese Communist Party came to power, it ended in 1949. Then I forget when they... It was like the 90s, perhaps, that they tried to institute that family law type of a situation where you can only have one, one child, child. family. Yeah. Because I know the director got in trouble and fined for that, uh, for breaking that. Um, mm. So. Okay, yeah. So these, the poor women had another 25 to 30 years to go. Yeah, although. So Song Lian would be in her 50s when they outlawed that. If she made it that far. Yeah. But even so, I mean, it, it. think of it like indentured servitude, you know, there may have been some rules that allowed grandfathering in and, you know, people holding on to old traditions, even if it's not technically legal. Yeah, so I mean, because you still have like the Mormon community doing their multiple wives and stuff, and it's illegal here. So, yeah, but sort of going back to that room on the roof and and the complex as well, um, like we said, it's all very gray and and brick, but it's still a very beautiful place, which is strange that something as seemingly drab can can look so good, and I think that's just the way it was shot and the directing. 
But what was also very striking about the whole situation is how, even though you have a lot of long shots, it just feels very claustrophobic. And again, I think that's by design. Um, as you mentioned, there are different seasons that are reflected in the movie. There's title cards that say it's spring, it's summer, autumn, winter. But you don't really notice the change. You do have a little bit of rain in one scene. You have a little bit of snow in one scene. But yeah. you can't really see the, anything. And you can't see anything beyond the... The compound The, the itself, compound yeah. walls. Even when you're on the roof and looking outward, you can see a bunch of rooftops. But you can't... There's no other signs of life anywhere. Outside, yeah. And I think, you know, like what we were saying before, how we both got confused by the design of the place has to be intentional. I think it was meant to look to us like a labyrinth. You know, like oh, where everything yeah. looks exactly the same and how, you know, you really don't know where you are at any given moment because there is no escape from this maze. Yeah, that's what I thought she um, escaped. But when she got there, she walked there. Yeah, she was allowed in, obviously, because she was voluntarily going there. But after right. that, that's her house. She was never, never left. Yeah. Um, evidently, the third wife leaves at some point. It seems as if but, she's... So she probably does have the ability to leave, but we just never see that. That's what I was... Um, like, I know... That's what I was thinking about, how these women, once they're there, they have to stay there forever. Pretty much. <laughs> and just, you know, be at the master's whim, and he chooses who he wants to be with each night mm -hmm. and, and like then, this big ceremony that's yeah know, that's, that's the the title of the film raise the red lantern is um whoever has the red lanterns is who he is going to spend the night with that night. and sometimes day mm -hmm. and when that happens that woman gets prefer preferential treatment for the day i mean unless he picks that same wife like multiple days in a row right you get massages you get to pick the food that's pretty much it <laughs> yeah that's that's what they outline but yeah you're basically you get a little bit you are the of, queen of the day in yeah essence, you, get you get a little bit of that but it just seemed as if these women couldn't leave that compound once once they were there so when the third wife was going off it seemed as if they had a little bit of leeway because even that one time where she invites Song Lian over to play Mahjong, that it's the with their doctor, the family doctor for that master and his friend. So I mean, wouldn't that wife have to have asked the master or get permission to have people come to her room, especially men? Because wouldn't he? He seems like he's jealous i don't know that's what like it seemed as if that third wife just had preferential treatment because she seemed to be like the most diva of the four yeah it seems like every new wife that comes in they have their own they set their own rules or break some of the traditions because that's yeah. one of the things that they they worry about with song song leon is that she's breaking these traditions she isn't going to breakfast to eat with the other three um you know she has food brought to her room one day and that breaks from tradition she does 
I forget what else it was, but there's a couple different things that she does differently, and everyone is all in a huff because she's doing things outside of the way the Chen dynasty had previously done it. Right, and then this is just showing... So maybe number three also has some of those things that are, you know, she's just allowed Mm -hmm. to do it because she was the new person and the master is a little bit more willing to bend the rules Mm -hmm. with certain people, depending. I don't know. Yeah, allowing her... I mean, she has her her room. She used to be an opera singer. But we. I wish I knew more about her history, why she became, like, a a concubine, I guess. A third... The third wife. Yeah, we don't really get to know any of them. Yeah, we don't know how, like, the past three wives became wives. Unless, unless it was, like, some sort of set up marriage between their parents or something you know like an arranged thing yeah especially with the the first wife who is obviously the the, well obviously but she is significantly older she is basically the same same age age. as the master like that could have been like an arranged that's the first it could have been arranged arranged or it could have been an actual like loving marriage at one point where he right. and then at some point he shifted and decided not while well, I'm I'm rich now so I'm going to have well I think he more. seems as if he that family was rich most likely long beforehand yeah. and plus she she had one child and it was a son so I mean she's she did kind her of thing. yeah she did what she was supposed to do yeah. was have a son and then that would be like the next leader once Master Chen dies. Yeah, because the uh, the second wife talks about how useless she is at some point because she only had a daughter mm-hmm. and didn't have a son. But the third did. third did have a son as well. And so, yeah, maybe they have some extra... Yeah, I think if, because if you have that, a son, you get preferential treatment. And she had her son, so maybe... The master is like, oh, okay, well, she can, she's allowed to sing. She's allowed to have her own, she has like a, like her entire room is just filled, filled with like props and whatever, like it, it was when she was an opera singer, I guess. And then she plays records of her own operas that she did. I think so. Yeah. I think it's so her past like, performances that her, have been yeah. recorded. But I just, I, I wish I knew, I wish I knew more about her. She was, like, the most fascinating one out of all of them, besides, like, her and Songlian were, like, my favorites, I guess. I don't know. But in a way, we don't even really get to know Songlian. Like, she... Right. I mean, we know we that she used to be in college and had to quit because her father died and they don't have any money. So, like, six months into college, at 19 years old, her dad died, can't afford it anymore, and so, well... My options to support the family and the stepmom are to get married off to some rich guy. Yeah. That's all I can do. What? So, yeah. And that's that's the only backstory we really get. Yeah, I know this is based off of a book, and I'm kind of curious to read it. It's called Raise the Red Lantern or Wives and Concubines. Yeah, Wives and Concubines, I think, was the original title of the book. And that came out in 1990. Written by Sue Tong. Um, 
But yeah, I, I'm so sure there's, like, there's probably a little bit more backstory. But again, I think probably the lack of backstory is also by design. We don't yeah. we don't get to know what these people were like beforehand because that doesn't matter anymore, right? Right, because like, now they're just they're now just sort of like faceless, and, and in many cases they're nameless. Another yeah, because they don't even call each other by their names, but sometimes they do. Like the second wife is like, oh, please don't call me second sister. They're supposed to call each other like sisters mm-hmm. like third sister second sister first yeah they, they do all have names but for the most part you just hear them as one two three four yeah so you're yeah you're not really supposed to know that and i think that also gets to the point that they don't really know each other either even though they the, the first three have been living with each other for years upon years in many cases i don't know how much they really know each other they're all just caught in this weird sadistic game of yeah of, who can get the attention yeah who the who can get the attention of the master day to day and it seems as if the third wife is always doing something to get attention to her like pretending to be really sick which the master knows is fake but he just goes he along just with does it, anyway. it anyways yeah um, and I think he ha- he does do it is because she's given him a son. So I think it was like the third, for however many years, it was the third. Third's also the youngest until Song Leon comes until in. Until Song Leon comes in. So, I mean, yeah, each, each one, one, two, is three, like four, younger five, than the other. is younger than the last. Yeah. Five looks like she's like just 18 or something or or possibly younger honestly i wouldn't put it past 1920s uh rich man to do that so yeah i mean and, and that's also a big part of it so there's like this weird element of jealousy and i think it's less about the master's attention specifically they don't i don't think any of them really Love care him. Yeah. about him but they want the benefits that go along with being great. yeah and they know that well this is just how life is now, so, you know, I'll take my... As much as you can get at what you have. Yeah. So and... we're just gonna we're just gonna make a game out of this life because we have nothing else going on. There's nothing else we can do here. We're kind of trapped, so let's just fuck around and uh, play mind games with each other all, all the time. Yeah, and you see... And I, the first wife she's kind of over it she's kind of looked at as the leaders because whenever the master is out they go to her for whatever decisions to be made and then it's kind of like her saying you guys figure it out she's kind of just you know she's like the one who isn't trying to get any sort of attention yeah, I, I think she understands. I mean, she, like she gave him a son, and she's like, "I did my job," and now she's kind of just like, "Leave me alone," and I'll yeah, just be in my area until I die. Basically, yeah, I think she also kind of understands that at this point, the master is not going to find her desirable over right. the, the three younger options. Yes, and but she is respected enough because she gave him his first son. Yeah. And everyone sort of looks up to her. 
yeah, and then it's there's the difference to her you know their elders so. yeah and then you kind of have you have the the second wife who she is seen as the friendliest in the beginning but then we find out that she is the most conniving out of all the wives Mm -hmm. she's definitely killing you with kindness and we don't really learn that until maybe halfway into the movie Mm -hmm. and the third mistress she is Kind of, like, to Songlian, she's on, like, what I said before, she's kind of like the diva, because she was the youngest of the three, and she was, a saint. well, her son is seven years old, so maybe she's, she has been the youngest and most recent wife for at least seven, eight years, so to have a new wife come in after her being the preferred one, maybe for the past eight years... And then to have this younger one, she's like, okay, well, I'm going to cause somewhat of a ruckus. Right. And still get the master to pay attention to me. Right. But she even becomes kind of like a frenemy to Songlian. Yeah, it's always a competition, but it's... But um... she's like... At some point, they, they kind of gives advice. And kind of like the first one, the first wife is just also when Songlian does first appear. Um, you know, the servants are like, "Okay, you're now gonna meet your sisters," <laughs> so she just like goes to each one of them, and then the third one is like, "I don't even want to meet her." So yeah. that's like the first thing that like Songlian gets is like attitude, like immediately. So she's like, "Okay, I think she hates me." But these other two women are nice to me, sort of. Yeah, absolutely. And Or um, more just like inviting. The first one is like, yeah, just be, you know, follow the rules and blah, 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 and welcome. And then the second one is being too nice. She's like, oh, no, call me by my first name. And like, she, they're inviting, she's inviting Songlian over, gives her like some silks. Yeah. So trying to, but I think she's, she's the type of person that just wants to get information out of her to like hold against Songlian in the future. Yeah. Everyone has like an ulterior motive yeah. well, amongst the, the three, because I mean, let's be honest, Songlian is also, um, conniving and manipulative. Right. Well. For, kind she's of from not the, really, when she's she... kind of an anti-hero in this movie. Yeah. Cause even when she gets there, she starts to to her own I don't know well future maid yeah to her own maid one of the servants who's there she's very very snippy Um, I mean the the maid is snippy in her initial response but then Song Leon just gives it right back and so they're already like off on this wrong attitude towards each other and and then they get paired together um, and then Song Leon's like oh well you were a dick to me the second I came in, so I'm gonna give you hell for pretty much your your life. your life. Yeah, and that all stems because this this maid, uh, they they don't really they show her as Yonner, but yeah. I'd never heard the er. I always heard Yon. But they probably do it like Yana, like yeah. really. Yeah, it's like probably very very quick. 
Um, so it's like Jan apostrophe er is is her name, and there's the jealousy because she's the mistress who can't be a mistress. Um, she has the master's attention at some point. Mm-hmm. She steals it whenever she gets the chance, and she really wants to be a legitimate mistress. Yeah. But isn't able to because of her station in life, most likely. They don't outright say it, but that's the assumption like, you can draw. The, the oldest maid. You are is... a servant. You're always going to be a yeah. servant. You will never Become make your way up to this The level. wife. Right. No matter how much you touch him. Mm-hmm. So, and Song Leon knows that that's what's going on. I don't know if the others do it seems like you know near the end yes they definitely knew and they just didn't really care as much as song leon did because it probably has happened before and they're just like this is how it is and can you just let it go to song leon yeah yeah because at but some she's point like, she no. apparently takes it too far because but... yeah it i mean because they keep on confronting song leon oh you're breaking these rules but she's like my well, look, yeah. maid. Look who else who, is breaking rules? Yeah, and by when it came to that point, they were just like, "Whatever, can you just give it a rest? Uh-huh. Like, who cares?" Which you know, sort of makes sense because she's punching down, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but at the other side of things, her rule breaking was exposed by Yonner. Yeah. So she's retaliating. She's retaliating. Like, hey, yeah, yeah, don't well, don't do this shit to me. I warned you before, you know, <laughs> um, because her yeah her own mate is actively working against her. So she's like, well, I gotta put a stop to this somehow. Like I said, everyone's a shit to each other because yeah. they're all jealous of each other. And I think Yonner is the only one who has and, actually has legitimate feelings for the master. Yeah, and the master knows this. He knows how the women are, and he's like, can you just, you know, can you guys just, yeah, just give it a rest and, you know, be civil with each other? But, I mean, he's the one that's sometimes, like, causing all this drama between the women. And then he, he kind of, like, also, in a way, gets off on it. Well, for sure. But, yeah, and he, and he can't take what he's dishing out in a sense because you know um the the first wife's son Feipu appears in a couple scenes and he plays the flute um and then that gets to the 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 different scene where Song Leon thinks that her flute was stolen by Yonner but it was actually stolen by the master and he threw it away because he thought it was uh, a gift from a boy and he was super jealous of that whole situation that yeah. he made up in his own mind. Yeah, and um, at that point, um, men were only allowed to play flutes. Supposedly. I mean... And so he thought, like, the master thought that this flute was given to her by a boy because boys play flutes. But right. she was like, no, that was my father's. And that he was, was like, like a oh. gift from my dad. Give it back. But she may it. have played it, too. Because oh, she was in... She, I mean, they also kind of like make fun of her because she's educated, because she went to you know college for like six months, right? And she may have, you know, been playing that in, during college, but it was her father's, and that's just like her only keepsake from her recently deceased father. Yeah, and now it's gone forever. Yeah. 
And then the master was like, oh, well, if I'd known that, I wouldn't have done that. But then he's like, well, I'll take you into town and buy you, like, thousands of flutes if you want. She's like, no. And and that's where she's just, like, that's when she starts to really uh, break the rules. (laughs) Because she's like, fuck this. I'm going to be, like, a terror now. Or I'm going to have more um, attention on me. Yeah, she she devises the plan in her head to basically just fake her own pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, basically fake it until you make it. So when she's pregnant, then basically all the attention gets put on her. She gets even more special pre- privileges as, a, as someone who's pregnant. And her intention was to basically pretend until, you know, the master would be spending most or not all of his time with her mm-hmm. then eventually it would uh, be a self-fulfilling prophecy that, that was the intention yeah she said well I, she eventually will become pregnant yeah but uh but uh, no it doesn't work out that way because again backstab you know backstabbing and gossip and all this kind of stuff and so they bring the doctor in and she realizes that she's faking and so she is uh, uh kind of and again, this, this is definitely just yeah, he's like, like basically I'm, shunned for, for for who knows how long. Yeah, uh, and that's because Yonner did that. Like Yonner discovered her dress, which proved that she was not pregnant because they had the blood stain on it. Yeah, but it could have um, been like she could have had a miscarriage. Yes, and I think, but Yonner is Probably. also working with the second wife. Shows the second wife, or even just tells or her, or whoever, yeah. And um, the second wife is like, "Oh, are you sure you saw blood?" And the second wife goes straight to the master, saying, "Oh, remember when I? Because she, I guess she did have a miscarriage, right? So make sure the baby's okay. Bring to the make sure in. the baby is okay, yeah, but." She's also hoping that it was her period. So this is what our, I don't know, third or fourth movie (laughs) showing periods. Yeah. Which is fun. Yeah, she was hoping for something like this to expose Songlian. And then, you know, when the doctor is like, oh, she was never pregnant, you know, that pleases the second wife because at that point, the master is now spending more time with the second wife. Right. And she, uh, when he does go to her, she's saying, I want you to give me a son. And, you know, he's no, kind she, of like, she wants to give him a son. Well, yeah. He doesn't really care, I don't think, at that point anymore. Yeah, he's just like, he didn't really... I forgot why he stopped seeing the third wife. I, I don't know. He just goes back and forth a lot. That's, that's really... Yeah, it's between know. the second, third, fourth... I mean, it was Songlian for, like, a couple of weeks. And then it's like, now after your tenth day or whatever... Well, we now do this tradition where all four of the wives have to come to this courtyard and they do this whole, I don't know, it's just like music. And then the main, I don't know what the guy is, one of the servants there, the main servant guy is like, 
the master chooses the third wife and they put the red lantern in front of her and then that's when they raise all the red lanterns at her house for the day or night mm-hmm. and it was going between Songlian and the third wife for a while and then all of a sudden it became the second wife and I forgot why <laughs> so but that's when she was like I want you to give me a son. I want to give you a son and he's just like ugh and that's when um I mean this is going back before Songlian um pretends she's pregnant is when he's like oh you would look prettier cuz she's getting older yeah. He's like, you would look prettier if your hair was shorter. And that's when the second wife calls Songlian in to cut her hair. But Songlian's like, I've never done this. She's like, oh, well, you're educated. So you should know how to use a, some scissors and cut hair or whatever. Instead of like, I mean, I think she kind of did that like for some weird scheme. But also Songlian is doing her... She has her own motive, too, because she doesn't want the master to go to the second wife to give her a son because Songlian secretly wants that so she can get her preferential treatment. So she does the... She slips the scissors and, like, cuts her ear, the second wife's ear. Yeah, I I feel like um, it was... Song Leon had a reason to hate number two at that point, and it's because she of found the, the, third... the voodoo doll that Yonner yeah. had, um, and she learned that the second wife had helped build and, and write her name on that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, and again, there's the, the whole conversation of this whole thing. Yeah. Um, and, and apparently, like, wife number three, I think, had been poisoned to some degree. Yeah, that's when... Around that same time. That's so when... I think wife, this is just purely a test from two to find out, like, okay, what do you know, what do you not? And, like, have this sort of... Yeah. Um, you know, bonding session, as it were, as part of to this gossip. haircut. Yes. Right, and then it just turned into, okay, well... I know what you did to me. Whether it was intentional <laughs> or not, probably was intentional. It seemed like it was from the looks she was giving uh, to cut her ear... Yeah. And uh, get her back that way. Yeah, and I think that's when... So when Songlian finds about that voodoo doll, I think that's when also the third wife gives the explanation where she's like, you think that I hate you, but it's really the second wife Mm -hmm. that I hate the most. And that's when she gives the whole story about when the third wife and the second wife, they were pregnant to at the same time yeah yeah that was, that was the poisoning i was talking about yep. and the second wife was trying to poison the third wife to have some sort of miscarriage or whatever but the third wife was like you know it never worked and then when we both went into labor at the same time the second wife wanted more preferential treatment like um certain herbs or whatever to take so her so she can have her child first because she was hoping she would have a son mm-hmm. but she had a daughter and then the third wife had the son and the third wife's baby came out first yes at the end anyway at the so end all yeah of that was like with useless. all that work that she did to try to ruin her pregnancy she failed she lost out in a whole different 
yeah subtle ways um and so yeah all of that kind of collapses in and up on itself um so for to retaliate for exposing the fake pregnancy Yonner's lanterns are are removed and burned um, to say, look, you're not allowed to have these lanterns in your room. You're not allowed to do this kind of stuff. And and Yonner just stays outside with her burned lanterns and collapses out of grief and hunger and who knows what. She just basically stays there until she's unconscious. She's also just very... Everyone is very stubborn. (laughs) the other servants are like if you just apologize you will be forgiven and she's like no she just stays out there until she and it's this is during the winter so she's hungry but also getting like frostbitten and then she just collapses and that's when they take her to the hospital and then it's soon song Lian finds out that Yonner was like screaming her name, Song Lian's name, before her death. I don't know if that's true or not, because they could have just put that in Song Lian's head to make her think, oh, I killed her. Like, it's because of me. Yeah, it could be, because I don't remember who tells her that. I think it was wife number two. Yeah, which, so... I mean, she could be fibbing mm-hmm. just to, like, get back at her, to make her feel like shit. Like, but oh, it could have been Fei Pu who told her that, because that... You know, the, the firstborn son does come to visit her because it's, um, or just happens to be walking by and, and notices. She learns that on her 20th birthday, and so she's drinking and, you know, celebrating internally with, mm-hmm. by trying to drown her existence in a right. bottle, basically. Right, like, just grief-stricken and yeah. whatever. Yeah, so Fei Pu has this uh, conversation with her, and at different times, because of the the prelude with the, the rooftop door I assumed that the story was going to go to the spot where Fei Pu and Song Lian got together and that was going to be discovered and exposed and that would yeah. be her fate See, I that's thought, yeah, not what happens though. it was like alluding as if they had some sort of attraction to each other yeah it was like going that way but then it didn't because well, maybe he did have a crush on her because he, when he did come by, um, I think he just like casually walked near her home or her room or whatever. Like, yeah, I that could be why he was in the area. Yeah. In general, again, we have no idea how far away some of these things are. Mm-hmm. The sounds seem to travel pretty well. Like when Song Leon is playing a record. Yeah. Uh, near the end, it the seems echo like it's, is just yeah. travels. Um, and in general, the the movie is very quiet. Like there's almost no score at all. It's mostly just birds and bugs and other nature sounds that you hear. Yeah, uh, unless so... you hear the third wife singing her opera songs. Exactly. Um, but anyway, she drink. She basically drunkenly tells wife number two about number three and the doctor who are having an affair that she's pieced together and three basically confirms to her um and so because of that of course number two is going to take advantage of that tells the master and and she is the one who's taken away to that rooftop door and um this is 
interesting because it's like some well some, i think the other wives just don't care they're in their rooms or their houses just you know minding their own business song leon is very curious they might the, not know what's happening well number two obviously wants it to happen because she said it but like number one might not even know that the whole thing is happening yeah because she's just like living her life in her own world and she's like whatever um Song Leon sees, like, in the middle of the night, sees wife number three being taken by the male yeah. servants. Yeah, a, a, a large amount of men. Yes. Like five, six, eight. Yeah. <laughs> and they take her up to that room. And... She just follows them, hiding in random parts, and, you know, once they leave, they shut... She just sees the men shove her in that room. Some We don't see her die or get killed, mm -hmm. but they all come out, and then she waits a bit. She goes in, and she sees, you know, her dead body. So she was probably just hung, maybe... Yeah, we don't we don't see it. What what's really fascinating about this is this is the only time that I can think of in the whole movie where the camera is not in a stationary position. Most of the time, it's almost it's, it's almost like a security camera setup. This this entire movie, yeah, where you have a lot of like overhead shots looking down on the courtyards. You have a lot of um, shots that are looking in the rooms at the exact same angle that are set up in various different ways, um, but it's the exact same angle multiple times. And here, when Song Leon is approaching the door after the men leave, you're in like a wobbly first-person perspective. You're in a POV shot of her walking towards the door slowly. Uh, and then it goes back to this super wide shot that's sprawling across all of the roofs where you see her open the the door and then just a, a scream from afar. Yeah. So it's really fascinating that and understandable that that's, that's the only time that you know the camera basically becomes a character mm -hmm. in that way. Or actively part of the action, but not to the extent where you actually see what happens. You don't see the aftermath. You only hear, you only hear it. Um, but anyway, that's that's her ultimate breaking point. She's had a few, but this is this is what truly breaks her. And so uh, after that, she, I mean, she just starts screaming murderers and. You know, all the male servants are, like, bringing her back to her house or her room. And then when she's trying... She's trying to tell the women or even even the female servants, you know, she's just screaming, murderer, murderer. And they're like, what do you mean? What are you talking like, about? Yeah, no, nothing happened. We don't, nothing, nothing happened. happened. And nothing then she's happened. like, well, where is third mistress or third sister? And they're like, oh, well, we just don't know. And they don't pay attention, and no one really, yeah. like, talks about like, it. You didn't see anything, nothing happened. Yeah, and, like, gaslighting her big time. Mm -hmm. And um, that's her breaking point. And at that point, she kind of just, um, just to get back at them a little bit, like, to show her independence at least a little bit, 
she goes to the third sister or third mistress mistress's room and lights all of her the red lanterns at her home and then she takes her record player and starts playing her operas really loud Mm -hmm. and the servants feel as if the ghost of the third mistress came back yeah that that is now haunted in the area. Yeah, it's haunted. That's why I was like, well, why would they put the fifth mistress in there? They probably, whatever. I don't know, but I mean, they they might have. It's it's really tough to say because one, everything is so homogenous within that design that you don't know how many different squares and barrackses there are for the different right. mistresses that are available, um, because it's, it just seems like an endless ocean of of brick and tile. I think, well, even before the third mistress is killed, I think, uh, well, after she gets banished, basically, when she has, like, the her red lanterns, like, all the um, male servants come in, and they put these black sheets over all of her lanterns, and they pretty much say that you're banished, like, not banished, but you're just going to be ignored mm-hmm. indefinitely by the master and also pretty much us mm-hmm. and so she's kind of like in this solitude and in a way she's like okay with it but then also not okay with it right and there was a point where she's talking to the third mistress about she starts to speak of like killing herself and then the third mistress is like why would you do that don't think that way and I think just as an homage or whatever to the third mistress she did this one final like hurrah for the third mistress and herself to be like fuck you basically this is like her big fuck you before I like go into madness yeah because She's playing the song, and you think that the movie's going to cut here where she's basically staring straight off into space while the song plays, and she's you know, mm-hmm. basically staring everyone down even though nobody's actually there. And then you see the title card saying next summer, and then you have the fifth mistress being introduced, and you learn that the fourth is now considered to be mad, and you see her just wandering the grounds. She's just wandering the courtyard, just, you know. Yeah, and she's not even wearing her robes anywhere. She's wearing the clothes that she wore when she first arrived, which I thought was interesting. So I don't know. I mean, she was probably even more punished by the master by what she did for the third mistress. Yeah. So we don't see what happens, like, what, what the conclusion was of her big fuck you hurrah Mm -hmm. with lighting all those lanterns and scaring the servants yeah we don't know how much was taken away from her or what but basically you know it probably thinks as it it seems as if everything is taken from her and she she already feels like less than a human just by being there and then when all that stuff starts to happen then she she does go into madness and the fifth wife is like who is that woman over there and even the servant is like oh that's fourth wife and she's just gone mad and that's it mm-hmm. and then they just do this pan out of song Lian walk 
just kind of aimlessly walking back and forth her courtyard. Yeah. And that's the tragic ending, unfortunately. So no no escape. Um trapped in I thought trapped in the maze for I thought she had, see when I was younger and after watching this movie I swear I thought she escaped after what she did with like she, I thought she did that she was going to raise all those red lanterns at the third wife's house play the music and then leave uh, like that was her fuck you like No I but, think yeah I think she's just uh trapped but, forever cuz yeah, she can't to go really leave because it seems as if they're in this remote palatial area and there was nowhere to go mm-hmm. so it's depressing so there you are that's that's raised the red lantern i didn't know what to expect from the movie i wasn't expecting that but um you know that's that's one of the interesting things about movies is that they can you know, they can be unpredictable. We can talk a little bit about the... This did come to the U.S. box office, I think, because of the, the awards prestige. Uh, it did make $2.6 million here, which is pretty surprising. It didn't really come out in the U.S. until 1992, however. So, um, you know, a little bit of a delay. It got, you know, the Oscar recognition first and then started to come out here uh, around March uh, for the U.S. audiences, but they they latched on and it became you know well enough known that you saw it multiple times when you were younger. It, I did. I mean, I I don't even know. It probably was on HBO because I remember watching it and I was like fascinated. But I think we both had phases around like high school time, right, when we started like exploring more independent and foreign films on our own. And that's. So. I think. I I mean, I was probably like eighth grade when I watched it. I was probably like 14 when I finally saw this. Mm-hmm. So it was like 1994 or something. And that's when I started to really get obsessed with just this type, these types of movies. So whenever I become obsessed with something, I want to see like everything about it. So that's when I would go to Blockbuster or whatever and find anything that's like similar to this type of storyline. Sure. That's where I got into like you know the joyla club or farewell my concubine like those these three movies were like the ones that i would watch the most and around have, that time <laughs> and, and i have not seen um farewell my concubine yet so uh not a 1991 movie however mm-hmm. gong lee is into other 1991 movies she was in the banquet and also god of gamblers three uh, she's also a star in most, if not all, of Yimao Zhang's other movies, such as To Live, which won him a BAFTA award, uh, Red Sorghum, which was his debut, as well as, I think, Gong Li's debut as an actress, The Road Home, uh, he's also directed Hero, House of Flying Daggers, The Matt Damon Vehicle, The Great Wall, and also, of course, Veggie Tales, The Toy That Saved Christmas, that is one of his projects. Um, Ni Zhang, the writer, also did uh, Blush and The Opium War, as well as several other movies that are not very familiar to me. A lot of these things don't come across the States, or if they do, I'm not fully aware of all of them, so I apologize if I missed a big one. Gong Li, we all, uh, we talked about, she was in Farewell My Concubine. Also, things like 2046, one of the segments of Eros, 
Memoirs of a Geisha, Miami Vice, and the live-action Mulan. She's in that as well. Uh, most of the cast and crew of this movie are, you know, didn't have a whole lot of crossover, so I'm not going to mention them, but I will mention Saifei Hei, who played uh, Mei Shan, who is the third wife. She was in Blush, which was written by Ni Zheng, uh, Temptress Moon, and Lust Caution. In terms of awards, like we mentioned, this was nominated for the Best Foreign Language Film, but it lost to Mediterraneo, which we will cover at some point in the near future here. It was a BAFTA winner for the best film not in the English language. It was Spirit nominated uh, for best foreign film for the 1993 awards, but it lost to The Crying Game, which um, I wouldn't have considered as a best foreign film, but I guess it technically That's was if we're talking Irish, about the Irish, I guess. Yeah. So, anyway, it lost to The Crying Game because it came out in 1992 in the States, and so it was part of the 1993 Spirit Nomination Festival. And then, like we said, it was at the Toronto Film Festival, where I don't think it was nominated for anything. They have very... I don't know if the you found Toronto. anything. Yeah, the Toronto International It Festival. wasn't nominated for anything, but it was... But it was showcased there. It was showcased there, yeah. And then it was at the Venice Film Festival, where it was nominated for The Golden Lion, but did not win. And, but it did win three other prizes. The Elvira Notari Prize, which I don't know what that's given out for. I tried to research that. could not figure that out. Uh, the Fipreski Prize. It's all. It's an acronym. F-I-P-R-E-S-C-I. That apparently is a, basically a special award for, you know, just filmmaking prowess. You know, something like it, exceptional achievement in, in filmmaking and, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. It, it seems to be like a very uh, generic award that could be awarded to whatever. Uh, and then the Silver Lion. It also won the Silver Lion, which is generally for directing. So those are the awards that we got for Raise the Red Lantern. Move on to true crime pop culture. Yeah, so like what we said, that this movie was at the Venice Film Festival and the Toronto Film Festival like at the same time. On the same day. As, yeah, same according day. According to IMDb, September which 10th. has been our, our source for yeah. all of this. And so this movie was also released the same day as Motorama. So September 10th, 1991 was a Tuesday. So a lot of the TV we probably already talked about in the Motorama episode if I did and um, I'm just gonna name so you already did all the Venice stuff but mm -hmm. some of the other movies that were playing at the Venice Films Festival which I don't I may or may have <laughs> said this before but it, some of the movies that we are going to see or may see soon is you know, that was playing there was My Own Private Idaho, The Fisher King, which we've seen. We covered, yep. We've covered. There's Mississippi Masala. And then there, the winner for The Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival was the movie Close to Eden. 
which I don't think is a 1991. No, I think that's a 1990 movie. Yeah. So, which is weird since this is September 1991. Yeah, and I think a lot of movie. these movies were released like at the end of 1990, like September through December okay. 1990. I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's like the cutoff, but that is. Close to Eden is directed by Nikita Mikolov. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I'm sure I've made a lot of mistakes pronouncing these names, <laughs> so let's keep the trend going. Okay. And the so going to the Toronto International Film Festival, the other movies that were playing there, it was the debut for the movie, the directorial debut of Jodie Foster's movie, Little Man Tate. Okay. I think that was for, so at the Toronto Film Festival it went from September 5th to September 14th 1991 it also had The Fisher King it had Days of Being Wild by Wong Kar Wai which that's in 1990 yeah. yeah My Own Private Idaho Barton Fink was there and um, Singapore Sling, which that's another 1990 movie, Delicatessen. And uh, it has Sean Penn's movie, The Indian Runner, which we may or may not see. I don't know. And it then, is on our list, at least. Yeah. And then The Double Life of Ronique. Those are some of the movies that are 1991 movies that we have seen or haven't seen yet for yeah the podcast but then they had this um the midnight madness thing hmm. and motorama was part of the midnight madness okay we probably talked about that at one point yeah maybe because i remember <laughs> looking something up for toronto <laughs> yeah and so the people's choice the people's choice award for the toronto international film festival was the fisher king the best Canadian feature film was The Adjuster. And the International Critics Award went to My Own Private Idaho. Huh. And for, I guess, in the media for this movie, this Raise the Red Lantern was banned for three years in China. And the main reason it was because of the director, director's critique of authoritarian rule. And even though the director denies this was his, his intention, they just think, you know, because of the subject matter, they decided to ban it. Huh. And it, they okay. didn't release this movie in China until the end of 1992. So... So they saw the master as well. Okay, first off, something we didn't really mention is that the master is largely faceless. Uh, yeah, we, we see we him a really little him. bit, but mostly it's obscured. It's um, like the back of his head or his profile. I think when he's talking away. about the flute, we see him a the most bit. clearly. Yeah, but other than that, it's it's largely. There's like. He's a figurehead. Like There's he's, drapery he's, covering his face. Yeah, and so, again, that's another intentional thing to show that all of this is really not so much about the master. Like, yes, he's pulling the strings behind the scenes in a sense, or he's, you know, the reason behind all of this, but they're not really vying for the attention of the master. They just want the benefits that go along with it. Mm -hmm. So, evidently, the Chinese government saw this as a parable 
to the Chinese to the being the master in this movie. And the Chinese people were the concubines or whatever. Huh. Okay. That's in, but I don't, I, I was have made that connection, but again, I don't live in China. In China. Me neither. I don't know what was going on in 1990s China, but I don't know what made them lift the ban, but it was banned for three years. Because I guess because the director was like, no, that wasn't my intention. Or maybe they saw such international success for the movie and they're like, let's yeah. get a piece of that now. Sure, yeah. Sometimes money just talks. Yeah, and they're like, okay, well, now we want your praise or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like the clout that you got from making this movie and being so popular in all these like movie festivals and through the Oscars and BAFTAs. So let's show it to the Chinese people now. Yeah. And I don't know how it was relevant received in china so yeah i don't know but, either i mean all i have is what it made in the u.s it was 2.6 million in the u.s which is pretty good that's that's substantial that's um 143rd on our list of box mm -hmm. office performances which we base solely off of u.s gross u.s canada gross uh so we can move on to rankings and ratings then where on your one to five star scale are you going to put Raise the Red Lantern. Um, I'm going to give this movie a five. This is... I know it's not your second five. It's not your, It's like your third or fourth five total. This is one of your very few fives. Yeah. The elusive five. I think this is my fourth five. I know we joked that it was my first third five yeah first third five yeah. my, but i think this is my first fourth five your first fourth five uh i'm not i'm not giving it perfect uh but i am close i'm gonna say on my zero to four star scale it's a three and a half it it takes a lot for a perfect four stars for me i think what i really would have liked a little bit more is to get to know a couple of the other mistresses especially the first one because she is the oldest. She's been there the longest, but she has the less, the least amount of screen time. You don't get to know, like, anything about her interactions. Even to, like, know, like, did she have a lot of shittiness in her past that she's just kind of, like, you know, yeah, I no mean, longer I wish cares I... about anymore. She's not participating in these games, but she used to or something, mm. you know? There's, like, a little bit more backstory, a little bit more characterization I wish I would have seen. Right. Was. And that's really the... the or how the downside yeah i mean that i really want i do want to know more about their past lives before they became wives to this master especially the third mistress i really want to know how she went from being an opera singer to now yeah a mistress. what was that fall like like why, what why did that happen and it may be because she turned a certain age and they're like, well, you need a husband because that's just the dumb times. Right. Or did or, he woo her? Yeah. Like, was he a fan stage? of hers yeah. or what? And then it's like, oh, you should be one of my wives. I, like, I need a, a prequel. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but. Yeah, just a tiny bit more context, I think, would have helped. Um it would have added a little bit more to the tragedy, in my opinion, too. Yeah, I'm thinking this is just, like, the first wife was 
maybe they were in love at a very young age and they got married. The second wife seems like an arranged marriage because he seems very turned off by her from whatever. Mm -hmm. But he may have been turned off by her because she just gave him a daughter. And I don't know, that's the way that they look at these women. Like, oh, you didn't give me a son. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, whatever with her. And then the third... Yeah, he may have wooed her because he was probably obsessed with... Maybe he did go to operas and he was obsessed with her. And he's like, I want her as one of my wives. And then the fourth one, she just voluntarily became a wife. Yeah, quasi-voluntarily. Yeah. yeah. So, that that's that's what's stopping it from being a four, in my personal opinion. Obviously, feel free to, to disagree with me. Maybe that's not as important to you, but for I me, don't that's, know. that's sticking <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to disagree with well, I'm someone. just saying, just general public, you know, um, that that's the reason it's a three and a half for me. Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Oh, yeah. I would, too. Uh, I would watch, I would do like a whole, I don't know, give me all of, I would watch more <laughs> of his movies, because I don't yeah, know if I, I've seen. I, I think the only one I've seen of his is House of Flying Daggers, which is, you know, yeah, that probably was a the, long the, time the ago. least one to watch aside from like Great Wall. Um, by I'm Marisin curious to about live, Red Sorghum. Red you Sorghum, know. Road Home, never even seen Hero. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot there. When I when I watched this movie, I thought he had directed *Summer in the Golden Valley*, which is a movie that I saw at the film festival, you know, a decade plus ago, and is just also incredibly fantastic. But uh, nope, not not the same person, but same vibe. But yes, I would definitely watch this as well as any of his other movies, except for probably *Veggie Tales*. Don't think I care to watch his segments on that. Or probably the Great Wall just looks very whatever. Yeah, that might be way too action CG and probably lacks a lot of the the depth and flair of his other work. So yeah, I'm we'll stick with I'm earlier. Cur- yeah, his earlier works. Anything so. like 2005 and earlier, let's say. Uh, if you out there want to watch Raise the Red Lantern as of this recording in December 2022, it's available on Freevee, digital rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. You can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind. Or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing our international month with The Ox. That's available on Tubi, Free V, Digital Rental, or VHS. We will see you then. Thanks.